angel still coming to church? You know, uh, she's not, but I, we did have a propitious um, follow, uh, connection in that, um, you know, one of our groups, it was men's group, actually got tacos delivered by Tacos and Company, and then the woman who always delivers them, Carla, we, she knows us very well, because sometimes it's twice a week. <laughs> And, uh, and, she, and she said, yeah, she said, I, I delivered tacos to this to a woman named Angel. Hmm. And, and I told her, and then Carly got talking about how she delivered here. And then so, so Angel's still in her place. Oh and it just, we just haven't, you know, I know that she was coming and she was losing a little bit of, you know, ability. And I was really worried about it. So, yeah. Um, but so there was possibility for some, some follow up there and on the heels of that that she reached out something to a call or reached out to Rachel or something. So it was good to know. But uh, And what's up with Rachel? Do we have a baby? Oh yeah, yeah, baby, oh, absolutely yeah. baby, yeah. Yeah, oh. yes. Joseph Alexander, I believe. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So that was um, Alexander. Yeah. Uh, I want to say a week ago. Is yeah. that right? It seemed about right. Yeah. Yeah. It was supposed to be yeah. so they're they're uh, they're recovering and we you know, I uh they're on leave, so and I don't know if these things get posted on social media. I'm not there, so I don't know very much other than that it happened and it, it uh being you'll have to be our social media advisor. It's also somebody I was talking last night, you know, about about it too. Is people say, you know, well, you see what you know. Somebody said, like a church member, you get these contentious things. Did you see what they posted? It's like, no, <laughs> see it? Not going to see it. Yeah. <laughs> not going to look for it. <laughs> not 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 interested in it. Yeah. Was this Angel Michael? Yeah. Yeah. Oh. yeah. oh, I was talking about the other angel. <laughs> oh, 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 Angel. There's, um, you know, there's another angel who came before. She's come to Bible study. Yeah, she was. Um, there's a from Burma. Or, I she had a, an issue. She was she never wanted to identify. No, she never wanted to. She was. She used to come here. She came to Bible study. She came to was at church for a lot of the day on Sunday. And the problem was is that. She, she spoke in a way that you couldn't really understand her. So it was a lot of this. Oh, yeah, I always translated what she was saying. Yeah, I was like, I, I, I'm, just, I'm trying to say to her, like, I. I'm I, a little psychic. Uh, yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. She's got to disappear. I like trying to convey for other people. Yeah, she was about the same thing. There were some things going on there. Anyway, let's get this to Bible study. Let's pray. Bless the Lord has caused all holy scriptures to be written for our learning. Grant we may in such wise hear them, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them, that by patience and comfort of thy holy word we may embrace and ever hold fast blessed hope of everlasting life, which has given us in our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. So um, this is our last Bible study of the of uh, this sort of, let's say, year. I, the church year sort of goes... Um, fall through, you know, spring, summer, and we usually, you know, take some time off. So we'll, we'll, we'll I, we've got me, we'll meet again next on, I think it's September 7th. Okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Left hand, your right hand, left hand. <laughs> uh, and uh, I don't know what we'll study when we get there, but uh, okay. something good. you can um, feel free to uh, give recommendations uh, or what you're interested in. Um, 
What else? Will they will there be masks, or do we know yet? Uh, oh yeah, we'll continue. Only if there's an exceptional time. Yeah, the masses will continue okay. Tuesday, Thursday, noon, and, and uh, right. nine thirty. Okay. Well, let's let's just jump in, and because we have some verses to cover, and remind ourselves that Malachi is um, most likely the the last of the prophets of the. Old Testament, Old Covenant. If you want to say the last, actually, Old Covenant prophet is probably John the Baptist. But between, uh, because he he doesn't live to see the dawn. And this is that 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 cryptic saying that Jesus says uh, about John the Baptist: "Among those born of women, there's no one greater than John." But he was least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than John. It's a it's a, a a chronological problem John has. He dies before Pentecost, before the coming of the kingdom. So that he's so so um, that's that's what that's about. So he, that's how he qualifies as the last of the old covenant prophets because he um, uh, not, and, and when you get in the New Testament with the gifts of the Spirit, the whole idea of what prophecy is, and we'll get into that today as a whole different uh, um, topic. But it is. But but one of the things that happens is different with the church is now that the whole church is filled with the Spirit. It's quantitatively different than prophets, priests, and kings being filled with the Spirit. So there's that. Um, so today, uh, speaking of John the Baptist, we have uh, prophecies today that speak of him. And so it's, it's this time of rebuilding. They've rebuilt the temple and city, but they're languishing. And to some degree, they're complaining, and, and God is taking the task when they say, well, look at, you know, it's God, where's God? Like, well, you guys, look what you're doing. You know, you're offering not the sacrifices that Torah said to offer. You're offering with a bad attitude. Priests aren't doing what they're supposed to do. You're, uh, you're not being faithful to your wives, you're marrying pagan women and, 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 and adopting idolatry, and then you wonder, well, why is there no blessing here? Mm-hmm. And I, I, if you, it just takes one a, a, a small minute of meditation to see the clear transferability of these themes to our time, mm-hmm. uh, where Christians like, well, there's God. Well, there's God. Are, you, are you being faithful in your worship, and are you... Are you, and, to, and to your marriage covenants and all these kinds of things, and wow, uh, uh, so um, so we'll um, jump in at chapter three today, <clears throat> and and chapter three verse one set of of Malachi in book of Malachi chapter three verse one, behold I send my messenger and he will prepare the way before me. Now. That's an important passage because why? We're telling a prophetic. Yeah. Um, So in Matthew uh, chapter, other Bible had the right cross reference. Um, uh, Eleven. I would say eleven. Yeah. Jesus says, "This is John the Baptist." Mm -hmm. Who's John? He's he's one. Behold, I send my messenger. So this is a prophecy of John the Baptist that Jesus says is a prophecy of John the Baptist. So I will send my messenger. He will prepare the way before me. Will there be a messenger? 
And that's at the end of Malachi, we're going to get a cryptic mention of Elijah, which we'll talk about when we get there. Uh, so we have a messenger who, to prepare the way. And we understand this in terms of John the Baptist in the, in the New Testament. Um, and then after that, in the next, in the second half of the verse, and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. Even the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Now, it's clear just from that then um, that the messenger of, of verse 1a is different from the second messenger. The messenger who prepares the way is different than the messenger of the covenant. In whom you delight. Behold, he is coming. And so, um, and so, um, this, these are things that Israel would have, yeah, come. We need God to come. We need God to come and save us. So the whole idea that God is coming to save us and what it will take on Israel's part to get God to come and save them is a question that's asked from here through the time of the Pharisees. That's the question. Why are things like this? And and the Pharisees' answer had to do with not keeping the Torah. I thought Andrew's, Deacon Andrew's sermon, I thought he was excellent on that point. Um, but so that leads to our second thing. So we have a messenger prepared the way they're going to have the, the messenger of the covenant whom we delight he's coming. Uh, but, <laughs> verse 2, who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire, like a launderer's soap. I just ask a backup question. Sure, please. What exactly does, when they say, say it, the Lord of hosts mean? It, it means that what is being spoken is the word of God. And it will happen. Not that God has to, you know, sign his, you know. That was just a phrase that they used for the same God. That's a prophetic, yeah. So, so um, I think that's right. I mean, it, it makes it clear because Malachi is delivering it that when he says, thus saith the Lord, it's a word I've gotten from God. Uh, that is, it's kind of formulaic to the prophets, I think, you, you get when God's going to make a pronouncement, thus saith the Lord. Figured, but I just didn't know what he was hosting. Yeah. yeah. Is that a bit like his, the host, like he's kind of the Lord of the armies of? The armies of yeah. heaven, right, right. The Lord of hosts, Lord of the armies oh, of heaven. Okay. Yeah, the hosts, that's what the hosts are armies. Hosts are armies. But who can endure the day of his coming to stand? So a refiner's fire and a fuller's soap. So in other words, they're all waiting for him to come, but are you ready for him to come? Um, and this is an interesting um, meditation, uh, you know, just in the Christian life, because in a certain way, not in a certain way, we live in this relationship with God and Christ through the Spirit. So, presumably, we're encountering God in our prayer every day, and we say pretty often, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. So, waiting for him to come, 
But are we um, ready for it? And how do we know we're, what, and maybe the question in terms of Malachi would, what would account for a gap between the expectation that God is coming, the Messiah is coming, and a readiness for his coming? If you want to be ready, what do you need to do? Confess. Okay. What would be the ground of your confession? Humility. What would you compare yourself to that you would begin to decide, oh, yeah, I'm not doing that? Is this in Malachi's time or for us? Well, I think it's the same thing, uh, honestly. I just developed in our, it developed from the Old Testament in Christ to now. But what, so well, let's, let, let's, let's look right up to, to what the last verse ended with, says the Lord of hosts. So um, this idea of God's word, which came to Israel through what? Prophets. What? Torah. Prophets. No, well, per, first oh. of, oh, primarily okay. and foundationally through what? Through the Torah. The Torah. The Torah. The Torah. Yeah. yeah. God, here's the covenant. Yeah. Do this and you'll live. So yeah, the Torah is yeah, well, well, but the point. So, so Israel is saying, okay, we come, and yet we just had a couple chapters where God's saying, but you want me to come, but you're not. I've already told you what I want. You're not doing it. And so, if you move forward, then what's the gap for the people of God at any age? A gap between um, desiring God or Christ to come and being not ready is. Uh, uh, it's the word is not paying attention to the word of God. I mean, I, I don't mean it doesn't mean repentance. I just want to be clear that it's your repentance is not uh, an abstract. Uh, we just always feel bad about ourselves. We must be doing something wrong. Mm-hmm. It's 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 we look at the word of God and we yeah. see and that convicts us. Oh, yeah. So there's always a problem when when people who say they follow God don't attend to the word of God in their daily lives, to order their lives that way, that's what, that's what creates a gap between, oh yeah, God, come save us, and oh wow, you're here now. We've spoken before about uh, word and deed yeah. lining up, and he's pointing out that their deeds don't line up with mm-hmm. their desire. Yeah. You know, they say they want the Lord to come, but their deeds, their behavior, the way they live doesn't line up with that. And I think that's, to me, what you're talking about. Right. Word and deed. It's, it goes back to James, you know, your faith without works. you, you got to prove what you're saying. You've got to live it out, I think, is what this is saying. But is, doesn't <clears throat> repentance also mean just to turn? You're going this way, you turn and go the other way. That's an action. Yeah. You know, that's a behavior. Yeah, well, and, and, and part, part of the, yeah, I, I think this this is right. I, I, I think with the... With the um, So Israel would probably say when they're, you know, God's not with us and our things aren't being blessed, you know, when's it going to come? And they envision a time when God would just begin to bless their lives as they are, as it were. And, um, but the problem is that the blessings of God are not arbitrary. He doesn't just decide give you two or three, but as we begin to order our lives in the right way, 
by loving God with all our heart, soul, and mind through the activities and, and commitment of worship and loving our neighbor through considering what, first of all, basically not buying, cheating, stealing, killing, but then beyond that into how do I, what does it look like to love today? Then we begin to, to do that in our, you know, so I think the primary thing is the worship of God first, because this is always where this thing falls down in, because everyone says, yeah, we've got to love, and, but in, in the Ten Commandments, the command to love God in action is a moral commandment. And it's the first, with all our talk about justice, it's the first act of justice. Because God has made the world and created us, and justice is to give back to him his due. And you can't skip the step of honoring God and default then to, okay, we'll just be nice to each other, but... But you're in the image of God, and the only reference point for how I'm to treat you is God. So if I've blown God off in my duty there, my duty to you is going to be fulfilled in terms of what's most convenient for me. Mm-hmm. And my love for you is going to ease becomes how can I, what can you do for me, or how can I look good in helping you? I can give a good gift or something and mm-hmm. get my name on a plaque, you know. And I, and that's kind of the way charity's done in our culture. Oh, you gave a, you know, five million dollar gift. Oh, wow. You know, that's that's a different kind of thing than than loving God. So so once we begin to put God actually first, so our, so our lives begin and function. This means worship's a priority. Being with the community people of God on the Lord's Day, beginning to order our lives around our prayer. Out of that begins to be awareness of the duty. Oh. Yeah, here God's given me this, and this is who I am in relationship to him. Now I realize, oh, I have a duty to. So you begin to do those things. And then God's blessing as we're naturally accrues, we begin to experience a sense of peace. Why? Because we're doing the right thing and we're not guilty. Not just on a guilt trip, we just, you just, there's a natural peace and joy that accrue from that. And, and so God's blessings are the natural result of, a, of an, a life ordered in relationship to him. So you can't have the blessings without looking at how your life is out of order. It's like trying to grow a crop without planting the seed in the right place without watering it. You know, you, you, you just, it, it's, it's, there's an organic connection between the blessing of God and obedience to the commandments. That's why God, um, can we get, grab a chair for okay, go in there, okay, for it. Um, so anyway, thoughts about that? I keep thinking as you're talking about the Pharisees, they did not love the Lord their God as much as they the letter of the law and, and were following the law, but they missed the main point about worshiping God. Like. So, so this is why this idea of repentance, um, it's not like what we did way back when. It's, yeah. it's, right. it, it has to be an ongoing reality of examination. And, and I think this is the idea of, of growth in repentance is growth in understanding of our disorder. So typically when people first come to faith or first go through some, you know, conversion where they're, oh, wow, they, you realize, okay, gosh, I, you know, it might be, you know, 
usually it's lost flat knee. Uh, you know, all the all the sloth, all the all the things I'm not doing that I'm, I become aware of. But as we progress, we understand that even those things are simply manifestations of a deeper disorder. Like I don't really love very well. I don't really. I, I have hidden motives that I wasn't even aware of. So the growth in repentance is is. It's like seeing ourselves continually in a clearer light of day. And um, I do think that God is gracious to give us just so much of that daylight as we're ready for. <laughs> as C.S. Lewis said, you know, just give me just so much self-knowledge as I can handle at the time. Um, and, and it tends to be progressive. Okay, here you are. Now let's, okay, now let's take a look at that room. That room, I've sealed that one off. It, yes. Is, is the refiner's fire um, an ongoing thing of, uh, with the, <coughs> the Lord and his people, or is the refiner's fire the day of judgment? It's not, I think it's an ongoing thing. I ongoing think it's, thing. yeah, I think, okay. well, I think he, he's, so let's, let's, so he, what he says here, he's like a refiner's fire with fuller soap. Uh, and he will stand as a refiner, purifier of silver. He will purify the sons of Levi and purge them as gold and silver that they may offer to the Lord an offering righteousness. So this is something that will happen in the new covenant. And this is, now we should understand, so let's, let's look at our imagery here because it's a gift again. Uh, and, and the Pentecostal imagery is really, really important. How does the Holy Spirit descend on Pentecost? That's fire. Tongue of fire. Tongue of fire. And, and so one of the um, images to sacrifice in the Old Covenant was the whole burnt offering, mm -hmm. where the fire of God came down and consumed the whole thing. Um, so out of the idea of the fire of God coming to consume the offering, but then it's out of the resurrection that we have the idea that that can happen without us being dead. And this is the idea of the living sacrifice. Mm -hmm. That, and so that we continually encounter the Holy Spirit to, who comes to purify. Um, we have that hymn, for example, this is 376, <laughs> Come Down, O Love Divine. Mm -hmm. Oh, let it freely burn mm -hmm. till earthly passions turn to dust and ashes in its heat consuming. And so that's, that is an ongoing... Um, and it's... it's There's this uh, reality of God's presence in his transcendent sort of awesomeness that you get on Mount Sinai. They're like, you know, he comes down in earthquake and noise and ram's horns and you know, like petrified, like, you know, they say to Moses, you know, tell it. Don't let him, tell him to stop. You, you talk to him. And then the incarnation, the word was made flesh, like, Jesus, you know, come to him. But it's the same God. Mm -hmm. And this this marks the the poles of how we're drawn, but then how when we see like oh, it's a little bit like um I, I would say it's captured in, in together, maybe in the in the uh, gospel story of Peter and the miraculous catch. You have this big bunch of fish, and then when he sees it, the, you know, he Depart, I'm a yeah. sinful man. Like, oh. And Isaiah gets this in Isaiah 6, where he, he has a vision of God in the temple. And Isaiah spent a lot of time in the temple. 
but now you see as God clearly goes, woe is me, I'm, I'm, to- I'm toast. And so, uh, but, but then even that Eucharistic image of Isaiah where he takes a, the angel takes, the seraphim takes a coal from the altar, touches Isaiah's lips, and your sin is purged. So this is the, 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 the dual, the complementary things that happen to our encounter with God in Christ is we're drawn in, then we're convicted, and then we're purged. But this is why a real practice of prayer has this ongoing repentance. And it's not just you're always feeling bad about yourself. Repentance happens in the context of overall grace and acceptance. So that, um, and this is where people, I think, mis- mistake this, is that you are a child of God through faith in Jesus Christ and baptism. That's a status you have. And um, it is that security of the status of connection that allows us to, to look at, oh, how do I, what do I need to to work on to be a, you know, to be fully who I am? It's kind of, you know, this is why the, the idea of discipline or uh, of children is used by Hebrews, for example, God disciplines you as, as children, um, that at least in a reasonably healthy family or a not horribly bad family, <laughs> discipline does not presume you're getting kicked out of the family. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just your, hey, let's, son, let's talk about that. Okay. Mm-hmm. And, and conviction. And, and so it's, it's, that's why the two poles of grace are acceptance in love and conviction. But I think they go it, it ha, for for the, for for an experience um, for a lot of people that that first embrace has to come to know that you're it's okay and then you can begin to look at things because I, I there, I've realized there there's a problem with a lot of people that they have trouble being self reflective or self examining without being self condemning. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people are very convinced, I didn't mean that, I didn't, you know, because why? Well, if if they admit that maybe they had some mixed motives, they'll feel, they'll just crumble. Mm-hmm. But the more comfortable we get, you realize it's okay. And and the more you realize that everyone's kind of in the same boat, we all have mixed motives, we're all working on that, then you can be more comfortable becoming self-examining without being self-condemning. And so that's so that's how the refining and purifying happens in us, but it's important, and um, it's also why I think through the through just thinking about the life of prayer more generally, it's why we have seasons of the year. I mean, you can't you can't live in an intense state of repentance all the time. Mm-hmm. So we have a couple seasons. Advent. Oh yeah, so we're going to stumble through the Trinity season, and yeah, it's not, we're not going to be sorry for our sins, but mm-hmm. there's a certain drift and decay that happens without the. The, the large themes, then Advent will come. Hey, repent. Okay, now we'll do a, okay, where are we? And then, you know, drift a little bit, will come Lent. So we have, you know, so it, it, there's a, and then of course, repentance can also happen more intensely if we actually do something bad. <laughs> then we can just come to content, you know, we just, oh, shoot. So, and, and, and sometimes this is, I want to say this with caution and balance, but sometimes, your awareness that you've done something wrong and the deep conviction is a grace yeah. because you become complacent and you're going wrong and then you go, oh, 
and you realize how 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 easy it is to become um, forgetful, unawares, and so so those those are all aspects of that. You know, one thing I've noticed about about repentance or, or when I feel super condemned, I realize, wait a second, this isn't a God. But it seems like God, when He convicts us, it's also this this gentle, loving. And it's like, oh yeah, you're so. It's I don't know. It's so different to me to be aware of that. What I think the difference is on this is is significant. That what makes people have difficulty encountering that is if their experience with authority hasn't typically been that. So the initial, the initial experience with God would be to presume that He is just like. Mm-hmm. And, and if that was something that was overbearing or neglectful, or so our, that's another way we grow in our encounter with God to realize He didn't abandon or abuse, or He doesn't do it like that. Mm-hmm. And we we get a new experience of connection with God that begins to replace our old experience. And this is where I think that the Christian community is so important because it. It is meant to to be a, an incarnational sign of the love of God. So loving each other this way, where we have great patience with people who are struggling and 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 realize it's okay that we begin to get an experience of grace. And because it's a big issue in our culture, a lot of times grace is seen as as kind of a concept, mm-hmm. an idea that God loves you, but not an experiential reality of, of actual embrace. You know, as you are, that, that allows you to become who you're called to be. I have a question too. Is that okay? Sure. I mean, this is, I, I you know, probably takes like 10 hours to answer. So, <laughs> but you're so good at being succinct. Um, it's just how do we, how, it, how do we keep trusting that, uh, God will keep being God and doing his part in that. You know what I mean? Like we hear, I'm showing up, I'm showing up, I'm showing up, I'm showing up in prayer. But it's just like this mistrust that he will keep being my shepherd and he's in charge of my salvation. You know, the whole bumper sticker that came to you, which was great. Then it got to go to all of us where it was like, if God's your co-pilot, switch seats. (laughs) But it's like, I keep, I know for me, I'm just saying, you know, this is bringing up this this struggle of just how do I keep trusting? No, he's in charge of my salvation. He will keep doing this. I keep saying, yes, I want this. I want to be part of this. But yeah, well, I, just, I think to me, the, 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 the gap there is, I mean, yeah, you just keep showing up. You keep doing it. That's why discipline is significant because it trains us to do that, which we might left to our own subjective hmm. emotion not do. Hmm. And um, and told because because remember that God's faithfulness does not depend upon our belief in God's faith. You know, it's not He is simply faithful. Our contrary experiences. Are you really going to do this? Are you? That's us, mm-hmm. and that tends to be conquered through our ongoing experiences of faithfulness. We realize again, and so. That's why the actual act of showing up is faith. Okay. Who who comes if they don't? He who he um, comes to God must believe that He exists and is a rewarder of those who seek Him. 
And so the, the background Tao is normal and human. Um, we, we just can't let that background Tao change the actual behavior. Mm-hmm. And we can pray like, I think it was a nobleman, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just thinking. And we can ask for an e- increase in trust. So we're aware of our own. And I also think here that um, to be clear about what we're talking about when we have doubts is, is I don't, I think the, the, the sort of um, geography or atlas of our doubts are that it's not really that the core of who we are in Christ, we haven't really trusted. It's that we have uh, experiences in life Memories, which could be thought of as parts, mm-hmm. that that distract our thought from this whole "what if," and so what we're, we're we have to um, there's a whole healing process with that of first maybe grieving uh, a loss where we had a situation where an authority wasn't trustworthy or did go away. That's a so that's a different part, but strictly speaking, the fact that there is in our swirling thoughts and and anxious emotionality the surfacing of doubt doesn't mean that I, at the core of my being, don't believe in God. It means that there are distractions that come to me sometimes from a triggering of a past experience, sometimes from a demonic voice and piggybacks on that sometimes and they're like and that's why I think that that's we talk about it we this is something that we talk a lot about is um, being what we call reactive and the more we are rooted in our prayer and come back to it we're trying to be the more you hang on to the objective truth of our experience of God's presence and what he tells us in his word and promise, and not be pulled away from that, like by the the things around us that that make us, oh, what's that? I don't know. And that's why prayer is so important because it it, it cultivates a state of being that's connected to God, mm-hmm. that that did quantitatively brings peace as an increasing experience. And the more we drift from that sense of connection, the more we would drift back into the anxiety of the world. And that's why faith isn't can't be an idea, it has to be an active discipline of how we learn to trust. So Thank you. So when and when they he purifies the son of Levi and they offer the Lord an offering righteousness, this is kind of like, yeah, we come to God, you know, all these things, and we, we're convicted, we're embraced, we're convicted, and we begin to and then we can offer prayer and righteousness. Now God, now you know. Their sinful bodies have made clean, or our souls washed. Now, our, our our offering can be accepted. So that's kind of the ongoing purification process. And sometimes when our prayer begins to decay, you know, it's like, oh, we've got to look at something. What's going on that we need to sort of purify in terms of thought or intention or or something. So verse four then says, then the offering of Judah in Jerusalem would be pleasant to the Lord as in days of old, as in former years. And I will come near you for judgment. Now, near you will be the community now. And um, so when, when um, it seems here when, because he's talking about the priesthood offering a sacrifice and righteousness, 
then God will take up residence, and then he'll begin to, to purify the community. And he says, I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers, against the adulterers, against perjurers, against those who exploit wage earners, <laughs> widows, and orphans, and against those who turn away an alien. Again, there we are. Tying to the alien, because you were aliens. Because they do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. These are all from straight from the Torah. A uh, big, uh, you know, prohibition in Deuteronomy against sorcery, witchcraft, magic, adultery is a commandment, liars, that's in you, you're in oath and you're going to convict someone and someone wants you to lie about it. Exploiting wage earners is, is a big deal because God set up uh, a system where that protected people from exploitation. And when you don't listen to the Torah and, and exploit, God's unhappy. So these are not just a list of random wrongdoings. These are things that are of the essence of the Torah. And since he's saying them, that means Israel's doing them. No one, no, no book ever says, so the reason, the reason you have to have Ten Commandments is because all the things he says don't do and do, they they were doing or weren't doing, you know, there's, there's all, it's not like, oh, you're all great. Let me give you 10 rules just to really, you know, kind of encourage you in how great you're doing. <laughs> because they do not fear me, says the Lord. In verse six, this gets back to the two. For I am the Lord, I do not change. Therefore, you are not consumed, the sons of Jacob. So the purifying of his people is a sign of his faithfulness. He doesn't just come and wipe us out. That's the offer. That's the offer he made to Moses. You remember? Hey, Moses, come over here. You and I will do a whole new people. I just let's just let just mow these people down. Moses yeah. intercedes. No, no, Lord. Then. <laughs> and now we have, you know, Christ is the priest who intercedes for us. So we don't just get mowed down. days. <laughs> Yet from the days of your fathers, you've gone away from my ordinances and have not kept them. Return to me and I'll return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you said, in what way shall we return? We've already had a few ways, so here's, okay. Okay, let's resume the conversation here. You want some more, you want some more stuff? Okay, here we go. Um, and verse 8, uh, will a man rob God? Yet how? You'll say, how, how, how have we robbed you? What way have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. You are cursed with the curse. You have robbed me, even this whole nation. <laughs> that there, uh, bring, so he says, bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And try me now, try is like test me now, and this says the Lord of hosts. If I open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessings that there will not be room enough to receive it. Now again, these are uh, Torah prescriptions that the, the tithe of the land was brought to the temple, that you, you gave God the first and best. And the firstborn of every flock was to be offered to God. And, um, and then there were various prescribed offerings that meant 
that resulted in the temple being well provided for, the priests being supported so they could do their work, and, and, and you had enough money to repair the temple, there were free will offerings, all those kinds of things. So, the, always the, the decline of faith results in a decline of the value placed on the worship and service of God. And so this is part of the reason that the worship in disrepair is there's not the offerings to support the priests, so they're kind of comes being part-time work, and okay, oh, instead of looking for the first and best, which would be there, people brought their offerings, now we got to get whatever we have there, and, and, and it's kind of broken down. And again, what he says in this passage ties right into said a minute ago about blessing. You want me to bless it, but you're not doing the things the Torah said to do that orders life in a right way and cause blessing to come down. So that if you do what I actually tell you to do, it says there'll be this, there will be a blessing on all you have. And that's that's the um, the kind of pattern in Israel where where an offering is made to God. Let's talk about the tithe here, which was the first fruits of the crops offered to God. This is to say, this is to acknowledge that God is the source of everything. It's like offering all you have to God. And when that happens, it reestablishes this, this, uh, the harmony of communion, return to me now, return to you, and then God's blessing comes upon it and it makes it sufficient. That remedies the situation of the fall where um, Adam and Eve took the one thing they weren't supposed to do. Um, I like what you know uh, Alexander Schmemann says about that. It was non-Eucharistic participation. Mm-hmm. They, they partook of the one thing for which they could not give thanks because it wasn't a gift. So that creates the situation where we have this thing that's not God. And, and that's what happens when we, so God's prescriptions for offering and generosity are the way we, we take what, what we have as, as, as rebellious people that said, this is mine, and we undo that. And we say, no, this is yours. And then that brings it back into the realm of the kingdom of God and his blessing where things begin to, 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 to work, and there's an abundance. Everything can be provided for. And I think, you know, though the specific, all the specifics of the offerings that are in the Torah um, can't be carried out because very few of us are like measuring out 10% of our wheat. But, you know, the general idea of tithing, of giving God our first and best is significant. And where you see people take God seriously, Blessings accrue to people and communities from that priority they place on God and his honor and his church. And what you see a lot of times in our culture is we just want to, like, love each other and love our neighbor and do good, but just skip the God part. You know, it says, no. But it doesn't work because you, in, in, in the Christian moral framework, which rooted in the Torah, 
Love for neighbors entirely rooted in love for God. Why? Because your neighbors made the image of God. That's why you're supposed to love him. So if you don't honor the God himself with all you have, you're, how, how do you then go love? The, you'll, you'll, it'll accrue that way. If I've kind of made provision for God, well, then I'll kind of treat you how it will work for me, too. But I'll make it look like I really do love you. Mm-hmm. And the same with God, I'll, I'll, I'll say, yeah, I'm worshiping. And that's kind of the story of Cain and Abel, the backstory, right? Oh, yeah, i got to do something. Here, here, some grain. You see, Abel's like, no, I don't know. God, I, I'm just remember that earlier, you know, sort of critique of the heart of the priest. They're like, uh, do I have to? You know, that's kind of Cain. You know, if we come to God, oh, do I have to? Whereas Abel is like, I want, I want to, this, I want to give God my best. That orders our heart and lives right, and everything else comes out of that. And so the blessing will accrue from that in verse eleven. Now rebuke the devourer for your sakes, so that he will not destroy the fruit of the ground. Probably the locusts, all the bugs, he crops up. Nor will the vine fail to bear fruit for you in the field, says the Lord of hosts. Specific agricultural blessings result from obedience to God and his word. It's interesting, John, I mean, I'm not, we can't say that like the Torah Agricultural prescriptions are directly applicable to, say, modern America or modern anything. But it's interesting how much of our farming problem results from overuse of land and not taking a Sabbath year, from all these kind of things that God, you know, God. And so it's it's not a, um, there is a blessing that accrues because people are attentive to God and his blessing comes but it comes with the idea that you treat things the way God said to treat them, and it works best that way. And all nations will call you blessed, for you will be a delightful land, says the Lord of hosts. And then people will look at you, and they'll say, oh, that God must be pretty special. Let's go figure out. Let's go. That was the way Israel was supposed to be a light to the nations. That is the Abraham covenant there. Part of the covenant of Abraham right there. Uh, elaborate on that? I oh, yeah, yes, yes. Oh. Yeah. The nations will call you blessed, yeah. Mm-hmm. So everyone's blessed, yeah. That, 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 that all, all nations will be blessed in Abraham. That's a very good point. The statement <laughs> of the Genesis 12. Blessing on Abraham. Verse 13, your words have been harsh against me, says the Lord of hosts, yet you say, what have we spoken against you? You have said, it is useless to serve God. <laughs> what profit is it that we have kept his ordinance, that we have walked as mourners before the Lord of hosts? So now we call the proud blessed. For those who do wickedness are raised up. They even tempt God and go free. Now, it's interesting here that there's a little bit of a shift in the narrative um, because it seems like this, um, somebody listens. And it says in verse 16, that those who feared the Lord spoke to one another. 
and Lord listened and heard them. So people who, who realize, yeah, we're not really getting this right. Let's us do it. It's a reply to a word that we use a lot around here. We call it kind of a remnant mm-hmm. of people who decide. And what they do is here, they, they decide to do what's right, not so much complain about everyone else, but do it, do it themselves. And the Lord listened and heard them. So those who feared the Lord spoke, which those who feared the Lord spoke is the subset of the whole community, which isn't fearing the Lord and not hearing him speak. And the Lord listened and heard them, so a book of remembrance was written before him for those who fear the Lord and meditate on his name. So this idea of a book is a biblical theme. Um, It perhaps comes to its apex in (coughs) Revelation, where we're told in Revelation... Twelve, I saw the dead, small graves standing before God, and books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. So, when it says a book here of remembrance is written, a book of, it, it's, it's metaphorical, I mean, like it's, is he is inscribing names so he doesn't forget those who are faithful. He knows those who are his. And that's the book. Those who serve him, those who, who make an effort to do what he says to do, um, are identified within the milieu of people who are the larger milieu of people who are not doing that. And that's for those who fear the Lord and meditate on his name. That is, who live in relationship with him regularly, not just perfunctorily practicing religion. Verse 17, They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, on the day that I make them my jewels. It's interesting, when you get to Revelation, there's a lot of jewelry, mm-hmm. but it's, it's a treasure, make a, a treasure, they'll, they'll have a value, they'll shine, they'll be glorious. And I will spare them as a man spares his own son who serves him. So, in the midst of a fairly strong critique of the current state of life of Israel, we get this affirmation for those who will listen to it and respond to what God is saying, that they'll be remembered and noticed and they'll be treasured, that a reward for them. And I I think that this is uh, one of the the, the significant things here. Culturally, for Christians, there's a lot of 
emphasis in our culture in speaking out and critiquing the the behavior of, of others by a group. And while the church certainly needs a prophetic voice, I think the first task of this is to begin to do ourselves, to begin to do yourself what it is you're called to do. And from there, any prophetic standing comes. And I guess the problem, you know, because we the, there's a danger for the church sometimes in its moralism of yelling at the culture about things that, that the church itself isn't really all that pure on. And it's, it's seen as hypocrisy. So the remnant idea is it first begins by, by cultivating faithfulness within, amongst those who are going to really do it. Then a witness can be offered to others who, who can be um, drawn into that faithful and blessed way of life that, that they can see when people actually do what God says. I think it's interesting how it's juxtaposed with the people are saying it's useless to serve God. It's good. And it shows, no, I, I actually listen to those who are, who are doing yeah. it. Yeah, that's a good yeah. point. That, 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 uh, Not useless. <laughs> and it, you see this, too, that, that, there's a, that this whole I remnant idea is pretty significant, um, even in the New Testament, because Jesus comes and he... Um, Not very happy about what he sees in the temple. Not very happy with the religious leaders. But when we peel back the covers a little bit from there's that we like in Luke, well, there's some other people. There's a, there's someone named Simeon, then someone named Anna, then been in the temple daily since she became a widow a few decades ago. Just people do so. There are faithful people under the. And it, it's a reminder that rather than just being angry at what everyone else is not doing, God recognizes those who are doing what they're supposed to be doing. And that's why, um, you know, Gabriel goes to Zacharias and Elizabeth, notwithstanding his temporary muteness. <laughs> These were people who were you know, doing what God wanted them to do. And so they get to bear, you know, and that's the reason that God comes to Mary. The woman from Nazareth. So ordinary faithfulness right where you are gets noticed by God. Verse 18 then. Then you shall again discern between the righteous and the wicked between the one who serves God and one who does not serve him. Um, it's interesting that faithfulness highlights unfaithfulness. Why did Cain kill Abel? Jealous. Well, because, yeah, jealous, but because Abel's faithfulness mm. Through greater relief on what it meant, like oh yeah, so there was a clearer sense of of um, and so that's what I think he means here. When, when people when there are people who begin to do this, you're supposed to do it, it highlights and actually even hopefully can convict and draw others into that 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 more faithful way of life. 
chapter 4. For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven. <laughs> um, you, you, want, you remember Jack John the Baptist preaching? He will, uh, the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. You know, this imagery comes from this expectation. And it, it, it's interesting, too, with John the Baptist, um, because you have that. I think John went out by the Jordan. He's, you know, brood of vipers. Who warned you to flee? And the axe is laid to the root of the tree. His work turns the whole thing upside down. And then he baptizes Jesus. He kind of stands back. All right, let's get going. And then John gets arrested, sitting in prison. Like, wait a minute. Where's the oven? And... So we understand somehow that God doesn't, he, he, the, the oven ended up being, yes, well, first of all, there's a judgment on Israel that maybe um, nobody really understood that, that if the Messiah came, it would mark, at least it would mark the end of, of the old covenant people within that generation. That was like, what? And no one can really understand how the Holy Spirit can be a purifying fire that can live in you and burn, but not really. So in other words, these images, so, you know, John the Baptist had to figure out, and a lot of times we have, too, our expectations. Yeah, God's going to come. And we may take, you know, a while. <laughs> this time, maybe not our time, May happen a little later on. Well, the first verse it talks about, behold, his messenger is coming, the messenger of the covenant. I think that's interesting. Where are you? Uh, well, just at the very beginning, he says, I, so he will suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant. So, the, you know, it sort of would be that the first one, the messenger prepares the way, messenger of the covenant, which would be um, the Old Covenant was seen as delivered to Moses by hand of an angel. Uh, so I think the the idea is, here's the messenger of the New Covenant, bringing the New Covenant, and all that means. I think that's kind of the, the, the parallel language of that. So all who do wickedly will be stubble, and the day is coming... The day which is coming shall burn them up, says the Lord of hosts that will leave them neither root nor branch. Sounds like a pull the tree. But you who fear my name, but you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness shall arise <clears throat> with healing in his wings. That's a, a beautiful imagery that doesn't have a lot of um, um, Typical background. There's the you know the star of Jacob. You get that kind of thing, but the image of, of the of the rising sun is the sun of righteousness coming up to heal, um, and with healing, so that what is out of sorts or out of order in our lives, he will he will put back together.
you shall go out and grow like fat, stall-fed calves. In the chip. You shall trample the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day I do this, says the Lord of It's interesting how that plays out in the um, New Covenant, because um, you would think probably in the mind of a, of a Pharisee or a first century zealot, this would mean, yeah, we're going to go trample them down. Mm-hmm. But yet, the main conquest of evil under the soles of your feet, how our Lord crushed the evil one under his foot was on a cross <coughs> by his faithfulness unto death. And so it's, it's the paradox that our defeat of evil is completely connected to our own wholehearted giving of ourself to God. And really the, the, the triumph of the early church from being a ragtag band to taking over the, um, the empire uh, is, is often cr- credited really at root to the martyrs because they took on the power of evil, something that Aiden talked about in church this morning, that uh, when the world threatens you with death, most people are going to cower from that. But the martyrs said, okay. And so they, they conquered evil in their own lives the same way Jesus conquered evil on the cross. So we trample down the wicked by continuing to practice what is good and right in the face of opposition, because nothing that the world can do can overthrow what we're doing. We, we live in a relationship with God. Not even death can, can take that reward away. And the great temptation is to um, digress from that wholehearted focus on the worship of God and love for others in his name into responding in kind to those who throw things at us or or, um, or paying evil with evil, which doesn't conquer the way cross did. So chapter four, <coughs> verse four, which are, you know, interesting last words of the, um, of the Old Testament. Remember the law of Moses, my servant. Remember the Torah which I commanded him in Horeb for all Israel with the statutes and judgments. And we should remember that this is, even Jesus, when he comes, he does not get rid of the Torah. He simply brings its full meaning out. You've heard that it was said of old, this is what you should do. But I'm saying to you, here's what the Torah really means. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. Now, um, in the Gospels, we are told uh, that John the Baptist comes in the spirit and power of Elijah. So, um, The words of Jesus and uh, the words of the Gospels indicate that the ministry of John the Baptist 
fulfills this prophecy. And when we're told that a lot that John the Baptist was dressed in in camel's hair and ate locusts and wild honey, it's meant to connect him to Elijah because that's what Elijah wore and ate. So it's, it's making the point being made about that is oh here's here's a guy who who um, and so when if if this is the guy who fulfills the Elijah prophecy is and as said at the beginning of, of Malachi, the messenger will prepare the way, then all of a sudden this is activating all the now 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 the messenger's coming and now the new covenant is here. But Moses and Elijah will come again when he comes back? Like the transfiguration. Oh we don't know if it does. We don't they showed up the transfiguration. But... There's a lot of fanciful ideas, certainly okay. in end times prophecy things about what Elijah may or may I not forgot. do. But we do not <laughs> the answer is we do not know. Yeah. Uh, he did he did come to, to um Jesus on the uh, uh, uh Transfiguration Mount, whether he'll Yes, mother appearance thing to happen. I, I don't know, but um, but John the Baptist fulfills this particular thing that Malachi is talking about, which okay. is um, calling people to repent before uh, he, he will send to the prophet Elijah for the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. Mm. Now we just need to remember. I mean, this is something that a framework the dreadful day of the Lord. I think where people really misread the New Testament is not to understand that that the judgment that came on Jerusalem in the first century as a result of Israel's rejection of its Messiah is a day of the Lord. In the same way that when the Babylonians destroyed the first temple, it was the day of the Lord. The prophet said that. It's a theme. So um, the Elijah calling repent, believe, come into this fulfilled covenant and be saved from the judgment that's coming, there is an end of time element to that. <clears throat> Jesus is coming, we're going to be saved from the judgment on the world. But in the immediate context of the New Testament, those who repented and put their faith in Jesus and became part of the New Covenant people actually were saved. They actually fled Jerusalem across the Jordan River into Pella, and when the Romans came, they weren't there. They were saved from the judgment that actually came in AD 70 on, on Israel. And after AD 70, there wasn't an Israel. There wasn't the Old Covenant people. There wasn't the Temple. And the New Covenant people had been saved from that then to go to the end of the world and, and with, with the Gospel. So the great and dreadful day of the Lord is not just the idea that the people whom John and Elijah and, uh, John preached to and the church preached to just the end of time. It was there was a there was an imminent consequence to to, to the, in that historical moment. And when that when it, the temple was destroyed, that is the end of the old covenant age. And with the coming of the Spirit, that is the beginning of the new of the age new covenant age and the beginning of the last days. Because the next thing to happen after the coming of the Spirit is the coming of our Lord to complete the new creation. And this, once we understand those terminologies, 
the Bible will make a lot more sense. And a lot of nonsense is understood, is, is created when we don't, when we mix that up a little bit. So, so he, um, but Elijah is going to, um, for the great grip of the Lord, he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to the fathers. And the, the, um, We don't have to go into wax poetic about how important fatherlessness is and how damaging it is when fathers have have not um, mirrored to the to their family as their heavenly father and the kind of rebellion against authority and all that kind of thing that happens. Um, but it's interesting. It's two ways: the fathers to the children, children to the fathers. The restoration of that reconciliation, of that, yeah, that reconciliation yeah. kind of thing. Um, Lest they come and strike the earth with a curse. When do you think that part is that hearts get turned? Well, I think I think that clearly um, speaks about you know that when G, when John the Baptist came and said repent and people repented that. That happened. There was a new covenant community created by that. In a derivative sense, we're always being called to repent. <coughs> Excuse me. And those who hear it, their fathers will be convicted. And those who hear it, if their children will be convicted and will work towards that kind of. Um, but it's also true that. In the New Testament, that the family of God comes to be the preeminent thing, so that um, even the, the, the family structures are understood in light of the kingdom. And in the kingdom of Jesus, who is my mother and my father and my sister? So there's a whole conversation about how that plays out. Um, But in in maybe in, in a in a brief summary, the the the, the idea of restoring uh, authority to to ruling justly and righteous righteously, and restoring those who are under authority to willful faithfulness and, and obedience. God does not like lawlessness. Stop there. Let's pray. Lord, bless us and keep us. Lord, make his face to shine upon us. Be gracious unto us. Lord, lift up his countenance upon us and give us peace this day and forevermore. Amen. Can I just say something really quick? Bert, um, I'm, I'm conscious of the fact that I didn't send an email to you. I was trying to find, I knew I. We had emailed at one time, and I got distracted, and I didn't look yours up. And Susan, 